Welcome to Opening the Door podcast. Join me as we unlock the door to our psychic and mediumship abilities. We're really keeping with the season of the witch here. Today, you're going to hear all about the basics of witchcraft. I was so, so honored to have Allie on, who's also known as Bronx Witch. Definitely check her out and her podcast out. There's so much wisdom in this episode in general, but especially if you're particularly interested in witchcraft. Also, I should note, when I recorded this episode, my voice was still lost, so you're going to have to bear with me one more episode while my voice was all crackly. Also, this is the last call I will be putting out for collecting ghost stories. So if you have a ghost story that you want to send me, send it over to me by the 21st. If you're listening to this in real time, it is October 19th. You can either email me a written story or email me a voice memo of yourself telling the story. And there's, you know, a good chance it'll be on the podcast. So email me at openingthedoorpodcast at gmail.com. And without further ado, let's get into the episode. Today, we're welcoming Allie, also known as Bronx Witch, to Opening the Door. Allie Kravitz, aka Bronx Witch, is a tarot reader, Reiki practitioner, and owner of Bronx Witch Headquarters, a conjure shop and witchy workshare space in the Bronx, New York. An early rebel from the Christian church, Allie has been on her magical journey since she was 12 years old. Allie is new to the online community of witches and has a growing Instagram page and YouTube channel where she posts witchy how-tos, book reviews, and glimpses into her life as a modern urban witch. Check out her new podcast, Better Witch, presented by the Modern Witch Network on all major podcast platforms. Allie lives and serves her community in the Bronx, New York, with her husband, Joe, and her cat, Eartha Kitty. Welcome to the show, Allie. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yeah, so excited to have you here. So let's start a little bit with your journey into witchcraft. Obviously, in your bio, you started this journey when you were 12 years old. So how did you get to where you are today in your practice from where you began? <laughs> it's a big uh, one. Right. That's kind of question. because uh, it it has been a long journey. Um, how I got to here um it is interesting, I think. Um, maybe particularly for folks who are also on a similar journey um and wondering what they can expect. Uh just because for me things weren't very linear, uh, is how I would describe it. You know, it wasn't like I picked up my first copy of Silver Raven Wolf's Teen Witch at 12. And then from there, just with every day that passed became, you know, the more powerful, capable witch. And now I am the Supreme. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to put yeah. it that way, <laughs> but it, it didn't quite happen in that type of trajectory. It was a lot of learning new things, uh, life getting in the way and kind of taking me away from witchcraft and away from the practice and then coming back and going away again. And uh, things like college and law school and marriage and things that I've you know done in my life have kind of caused interruptions in in that path. Looking back on it, I understand now that they weren't really interruptions. They were really just opportunities for me to revisit witchcraft at just different stages in my life and ask myself the question whether or not this was really something I was committed to and that I wanted to keep going with, keep learning more about, keep doing, um, you know, or if it had already served its purpose in my life and I was ready to move on to something else. So with each of these challenges and changes in my life, I got to kind of revisit and rededicate myself to the craft. And now I'm at a place where 
there's just absolute certainty that I'm where I'm supposed to be doing what I'm supposed to be doing the way I'm supposed to be doing it. And so that's really beautiful. It definitely feels different to have that level of like, yes, I'm, this is, this is right. This is where I'm at. But now new things are coming with that because now it's like, well, if, if this is where you are and what you're supposed to be doing, why? You know, now that we figured out kind of the what, maybe a little bit of the how, now it's the why, like, why this? Why did you come to this earth drawn to witchcraft? Why did you come here with these particular skills or these particular interests? And now I'm discovering like what it is I'm supposed to be doing with that for myself and the world at large, maybe. So um, I, I think that's kind of how it went and where I'm at. Yeah, so cool. Those are such big questions, I think, especially in the space of witchcraft, psychic, mediumship, all of these sorts of practices is that big why question. So I love that you're asking it. I think we all start asking ourselves that once we're sort of on this path. So Mm -hmm. yes, it's a big question. And sometimes I feel like the answer also can change along the way or sort of, uh, evolve, which is cool. For sure. Well. Yeah, for yeah. sure. I think we, t- I love that you say that because we talk a lot about purpose, um, in, in, I'll just call it the spiritual community, just as like a catch-all. It's a very diverse community in a lot of ways. It's more of a, a conglomerate of communities, I would say, but just overall, all, all of us weird witchy folks, all of us, you know, spiritually connected folks. We talk a lot about things like purpose and, and, and generally, I feel like the general consensus is most of us kind of feel like there is some higher reason for why we're all here. Um, We all might look at it differently in terms of like how you could figure that out or whatever. But I think generally speaking, we all kind of feel like there's maybe a reason for us being here. And sorry for the airplane going by. I'm in New York City. So it's like, <laughs> there's no, no problem. Quiet, quiet day around here. Um, but, but when we talk about purpose, we tend to talk about it like there's only one. And like, there's just this, this one thing that you came here to do. And you've got to figure out what that is. And, you know, until you do, your life is just like a shambles. And um, I, I have listened a lot to various uh, Hindu mystics and, their perspective of purpose is a little bit more dependent on where you are in your life right now. And so they talk more about purposes um, of our lives and that we serve many purposes in the time that we're on this earth. And it changes based on how old you are and what your station is in life and what your community is and what they need from you and things like that. And um, yeah, so if, if folks out there are feeling like, oh, I don't know what my purpose is, or I don't know why I have these gifts, or I don't know why these things happen to me. Um, it's okay. And that the purpose behind them may, may be changing with every day. Yes, absolutely. Such good points. So in your bio, you talk a little bit about how you were an early rebel from the Christian church. Can you expound upon that a little bit for us? Yes. <laughs> it, I don't know if you have any experience with the Christian church, if you grew up religious at all. And um, so if you do grow up in that type of environment, it is very rare for folks to buck against that system. Um, it's a very structured system. Um, kind of whatever denomination you are a part of, the fact that there are denominations already is like, wow, how organized you guys are. Um, and you don't have to stop being a Christian if you do it differently, you just have a different denomination. So it's a very organized thing. And it's very much 
um, I think the church is, is, has had an influence on society that's really hard to get away from. So I think even if you don't grow up in a Christian church, especially if you live in, in America, there's sort of Christian ideology kind of hanging all over everything and if you feel differently or you express yourself differently even if you're not in a super religious environment people might look at you like you're weird or be concerned or think that you're involved in something dark or scary and um certainly being a 12 year old asking questions um about the bible's legitimacy <laughs> and um you know, taking your Sunday school teacher to task uh, when she doesn't have good answers and things like that is a little bit unusual, I think. So for me, it seems early. I feel like most folks who grow up in as strict and conservative of a Christian household as I did, don't start questioning what they've been told until they're older. Um, and, you know, maybe have a little bit more support around them, or they go off to college and meet people of different walks of life. And that kind of inspires them to, you know, in, in, in Christian households, or at least, you know, I can speak for mine and, and the households of a lot of my friends and, and colleagues that have shared similar experiences. It's not just that, like, as a little Christian kid, there's like witchcraft and mediumship and talking to ghosts and all types of things happening in your house, but then you go to church and it's different. It's like, you don't even know these things exist if you live in a house like mine. Like my mom was very careful about what we watched on TV, what we listened to in music. And there was a lot of stuff that I just literally didn't even know existed. So I think typically folks have to meet new people, maybe travel and learn that these alternative views are even out there before they can start um, wondering whether or not their personal beliefs are more in alignment with those. But for me, without knowing that there was a world out there to go to, I just felt like the one I was in was not for me. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what it is, but something about this doesn't seem right. And, and I think I was just a very inquisitive child, um, which is great. Um, I think unless you are dealing with adults who don't have answers, then you're just a pest um, and people get defensive and get really upset and um, frustrated. And that's kind of what happened for me. So I was very much, I was sitting in church with my little how to read fortune cards books by Jillian Kemp and my Silver Raven Wolf books and sitting there taking notes and like blatant defiance of like the choir director. Like, that's fine. You can make me be here, but I'm reading about witchcraft. Okay. Um, so, so I got awesome. a station. Yeah. My mom, you know, was very unhappy, had to do a lot of like damage control, PR <laughs> control or whatever about like her daughter who keeps showing up to church and all black and <laughs> what is that about? Or why, did, why, did, why must she do this? Um, and eventually at like 16, my mom was just like, you know what, just don't come. It's fine, just, <laughs> just don't come. Then she right. got her trying to answer questions about like why I was drawing pentagrams on everything and you know, stuff like that. So, but I, I really didn't have anything to go to. It wasn't like someone was like, oh, here's witchcraft and Wicca and here's tarot and you might be interested in these things. I was just like, I have to find something else. I don't know what I just do. And um, and then that took me on a journey of, of research. And as I got older, creeping around the West Village and all the little witchy shops and, and you know, it kind of went from there. But I, I, I call myself an early rebel because it wasn't like I was exposed to something that then changed my mind. I just said, I'm out of here. 
you know, where I end up be damned. Like, I just don't want to be a part of this, whatever this is. So. Yeah, definitely. Definitely was part of your path for sure. Starting from an early age. Very cool. What are some things that you do to incorporate witchcraft into your daily life and your daily routines? Mm. Everything, (laughs) everything. Um, you know, like I said, uh, in a 25 year journey, a lot changes, a lot happens and a lot gets impressed upon you and vice versa. And, um, definitely, I think like most practitioners, magic was something that I did, you know, it was like, oh, it's the full moon. Let's do something. Oh, I have a person at work who's being an asshole. Let's do something about that. It was very much based around things that I do. And now it is very much just who I am. And so magic is a part of everything that I do. You know, I don't make a cup of tea or a pot of soup the way other people do probably because it has just become infused in how I see the world. And so it's become impossible really for me to do certain things in my day without there being an element of what people would call magic or witchcraft. But what for me has really just become like whatever. Um, So, you know, we're in podcast world, so people can't see us, but um, I'm sitting here with a white towel (laughs) on my head that's very damp still uh, because we just got through a full moon and uh, I did a head wash for myself um, this morning to clear things out and just prepare me for this next moon phase and make sure I'm ready to receive everything that I've been asking for and manifesting and drawing towards myself. And for most people that'd be like, oh, she did a whole like ceremony. She had a whole ritual. And for me, it's like, it's just Tuesday. It's just the day after the full moon and this is what I do. Other ways uh, that are a little bit more action oriented are regular prayers and meditation. So prayer and meditation are behind me actually is my prayer table. And that's a place you'll find me every morning praying, uh, giving honor and thanks to my ancestors, to the spirits, to the divine feminine and masculine um, in whatever forms that they come through for me. And that's become daily, uh, as has meditation. And um, I think that some folks might be surprised that I count those things as a part of my craft and a part of witchcraft. Um, But for me, they very much are, uh, because they're sort of the foundation of how um, I'm able to do anything else that people might say is like, obviously witchcraft, like casting a spell. Gotcha. Yes. I love that. Yeah. One of the things, and I think I mentioned this, there's an episode that'll ha- uh, air before this one, but one of the things that I love and mentioned in that one too, is that with witchcraft, it really, apart from the cool rituals and stuff that you can do spell casting, the just sort of infusing everyday things with intent mm-hmm. and um, stuff like that, I just think is is really, really cool. Yeah. And I don't know if you experience something similar as a medium where, you know, you kind of start off honing an ability and being like, okay, I'm, I'm going to medium now. Like I'm going to, like, I, you know, I'm going to tap into something. And then after a while, I imagine it starts to just feel like all the time they're with you and all the time you can tap into that. And if you wanted to communicate with spirit or uh, kind of, you know, project yourself into a different time or place to see something that you can and, and um, it becomes less of an activity and more of just sort of like a state of being that you're in that you recognize is maybe different, you know, from others. 
Yes, absolutely. You're totally right. Uh, very insightful for sure. So let's get into sort of the basics of witchcraft. So in its simplest form, what is witchcraft? Witchcraft is the art and practice of being in tune with nature and the elements around you so that you can identify energy and manipulate it for your benefit or, you know, the benefit of others. Such a powerful definition. Very nice. (laughs) That's how I would, that's just, you know, if I was going to give like a Miriam Webster's of witchcraft, that's how I see it. So there's lots of different types of witches. Obviously, I'm not a practitioner myself, so I don't know everything. But so we see sort of hearth witches, green witches, eclectic witches. Can you talk a little bit about sort of the differences and why we see sort of different delineations? And then also, how would you describe yourself? Mm. Well, I think we see different delineations because we just love labels. (laughs) We can't help ourselves. We just love to label stuff. But really, none of those labels, I think, are inherent to witching. What I mean by that is witchcraft exists without us. Magic doesn't need human beings to exist because we're talking about the energy of the natural world and the way energy flows and moves. And these are, this is quantum physics. This is you know, biology, this is science at play and science doesn't exist because we do. We're just a part of that. And witchcraft is the same way. So we might want to put labels on the type of craft that someone does because they spend more time working with herbs or they spend more time working uh, in their kitchens or they spend more time working with dark goddesses and dark spirits. Um, But the reality is we're all doing the same thing Um, And we're all tapping into the same fields of energy and to the same technology and the same science. Um, We just might have an affinity for for something or the other or really enjoy crystals over candles, etc. So the labels are really kind of a personal thing. um, And they've come about just because we like to label things and we like to um, put people in boxes so that we can understand them better and and no judgment on that. Sometimes it's nice to put ourselves in a box just to make it easier to talk to people or um, even just to narrow down your own field of study, right? The witchcraft world is huge, as you can tell, thousands upon thousands of books these days, tons of material online to consume. And so if you try to learn about every type of witchcraft out there, you'll probably be miserable, right? So if you put yourself into a box like, hi, I am a hearth witch, let me just learn about hearth witchery, um, then that can make things easy for you. So the labels do serve some purpose, and they can be used like, you know, to our benefit as a community of people just trying to interact with each other. Um, But for the aspiring witch or someone who is interested in in practice, I would say, aside from it making your world smaller for your own ease, don't worry about what you label as because most witches that I know who've been doing this for as long as I have, kind of like on the level that they're doing it, would say I'm all of those things. I am a green witch and I am a kitchen witch and I am a hearth witch. I am all of those things because my witchcraft is happening all the time. So sometimes I'm I'm dealing with fresh herbs or dried herbs and sometimes I'm working with crystals and sometimes uh, I am doing a very elaborate 
uh, high magic type of ritual because there's some spirit that I want to interact with or some goal in particular that requires that. Or I'm on the dirt in the floor with my feet off working some, you know, folk magic that no one ever wrote down, you know, that was passed on to me that someone told me orally, like, it's going to depend on what I need to do and where I'm at in that moment. Um, so for me, it's really hard to put a label on anything, but, uh, for the rest of the world, what I tell them is my religion is Wicca. So I'm a Wiccan, self-dedicated Wiccan, uh, solitary, not initiated into a coven and I never have been. Um, and my magic is very informed by my ancestry and the practices that come from that. So my magic looks like some sort of weird mix between uh, Wiccan rituals, uh, African-American hoodoo, and uh, a little bit of African voodoo. So cool. Yeah. One thing I, I love about witchcraft, which also comes up in this, the episode prior to this one, is everybody, not everybody who is a practitioner, but a lot of people who are practitioners get back to those roots and are observing what their ancestry was doing and sort of bringing that forward into their modern practices, which I just think is so special. So, yeah. Yeah. And important. And I don't think 25 years ago when I started that there was as much of an emphasis on ancestry uh, because not for nothing, the witchcraft conversation was very much dominated by the Wiccans of the day Um, and shout out to them because they really carried a lot of the weight in terms of making witchcraft more mainstream and something that people even understood was like happening. But uh, there wasn't necessarily a focus on personal ancestry because I think early Wiccans weren't necessarily thinking about like the wider world or like the social impact necessarily, which to me makes sense. You know, it's like, it's okay. Like it would have been nice if they had seen this, you know, had this type of foresight of been like, ah, but what about the Africans? And what about the Indians? Right. You know, but they didn't. And, you know, that is a result of who they were. They were primarily European people that were thinking about their own ancestry. And so the Wiccan religion is very much steeped in Celtic and Druid, ancient Greek and Roman, and to a lesser extent, ancient Egyptian uh, practices, philosophies, beliefs, etc. Um, so growing up, that is what I was exposed to. And uh, that is a, a small part of my ancestry. I do have a small part of European ancestry, but not much. And um, it took me a while to, to get back to my own ancestry, because uh, a lot of the texts that I was reading at the time just kind of glanced over that, you know, and just sort of assumed that all of our ancestors were Celtic and <laughs> Druid ancestors, and that we would all relate to these spirits, and that that would, you know, all make sense to us. And so it took me a while to realize that while my religion provided me with like a really great foundation, and a lot of principles that I carry to this day, that there was something else out there for me that would really like light a spark in me in a different way and um learning about the ancient Greek and Roman goddesses and things like that. I loved them. They were all beautiful. Their depictions were wonderful, but I didn't see myself kind of for obvious reasons in them. Um, And when I started learning about African spirits and African goddesses and things like that, it was definitely an Indian and just just spirits of color um, in general, just kind of let me know that like, oh, wait, you know, there is a place for me in this world and, and, there's something here that I would maybe benefit from discovering or researching or learning more about. And so as I have done that, 
um, it's been incredible in terms of like just exposing myself to things. It's hard to describe, but like things that just give you like that tingle, you know, where you're just like, oh my gosh, my people, like, oh my gosh, my grandmother did that. Or like, oh, I totally, now I get it. I understand. Like we've been eating this baked good for years. Like now I know why. And um, so having all of those little moments has been literally magical because they've been really um, unexpected and, and um, exciting. Yeah. So cool. Lovely. Thank you so much for sharing that. What are some of the most basic principles of witchcraft that everyone should know if they're interested in in getting into being, you know, a witchcraft practitioner? Well, I would say start with to know, to dare, to will, to be silent. I would start there. Those are considered some of the four foundational tenets of what a witch does. Um, A witch knows. They know things that other people cannot know. Um, And they know that through their relationship with the spirit world, because spirit can see what we cannot see. And if you have a relationship with spirit, uh, then you will be blessed to be given little bits of information that come from the people who cannot, or the beings that uh, can see what you can't see, Um, which is our daring. Uh, We take chances and we speak our minds. Um, And in a world where there's so much unrest and so much like injustice, um, witches have always been on the forefront of being the people who say something about it and try to do something about it. Um, And that buck the status quo or whatever is being forced on them. You know, I think the word witch if you look back through history, the people who were called witches were usually just the people, often the women, who just refused to be dominated by organized religions, clergy, and mostly you know, male individuals of power who thought that their way was the only way. Um, and so be daring to will is central to what we do as witches because we understand that our will can be done. Most People who have lived in this very Christian society have had that taken away from them because we've been told that it's only God's will that will be done and witches understand that we are God and therefore our will will be done. Um, And then to be silent is important because what we do is still very much misunderstood and there are aspects of what we do that perhaps everyone shouldn't be able to do that your heart maybe should be in the right place before you make the decision of manipulating someone to do something that you want or something like that, you know? Um, That perhaps how to bring justice in the form of a carefully placed plant or potion is something that maybe not everybody should be able to just do. And so the things that you learn you will understand as you learn them, the importance of keeping them to yourself. And also you will understand that no matter how mainstream witchcraft becomes, there will probably always be a sector of society that thinks that we are a real and present danger and will treat us as such. And so declaring that you are a witch uh, publicly, even if publicly just means to your family members can be dangerous and is something to really, really be thought about and to err on the side of silence until you're totally sure of your safety and 
the safety of everyone else. Amazing. So much good stuff in there. I love the will part. I mean, I was just thinking, even when you said like, your will be done, our will be done. There's the the classic line within like sort of the Christian Lord's prayer, thy will be done, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I love that outlook in witchcraft. And I think in the spiritual community at large can be, obviously it varies a little bit, but there is sort of that idea that we are all part of the power of the universe or God or whatever higher power that you believe in. Like everybody is every being is part of that. So very, yeah, very cool. Um, I lost my train of thought because that was just so good. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that's good for your audience. Cause I know a lot of times, um, you know, folks are looking for the, uh, you know, make an altar and set this up and do this thing. And, uh, there's a lot of stuff out there like that. And I make some of it, but, um, I think my, one of my purposes that I'm understanding as somebody who maybe can share some information or shed some light on this path with those who might be interested in it is that all of the how-to stuff that we see online, all of the books on, you know, set this up, do this thing. Don't get bogged down with that. Don't get bogged down with that. Use that as guidelines, uh, you know, introductions into certain traditions or how certain paths do things and things like that but see yourself as something much bigger than any of those things Um, because you are these are all just little slivers of what one person or what one group of people have decided to do uh, in order to accomplish something Um, and there is no one way to to do that um, kind of like I think of it very similar in terms of like our major religions. Like I see Christianity and Judaism and Islam and all of these major religions as all under one big umbrella of God. These are all just groups of people who have come up with practices, rules, and rituals that they think will help them get closer to the personification of God that they have created and decided to worship and honor and acknowledge. And so is the case in witchcraft. We have a common goal of wanting to be closer to nature, to the universe, and be able to actually interact with the energy that we believe is around us and in us. And we have different ways in which different groups of people over time have come up with practices, rituals, and rules that they think help them to accomplish that better. So understand that. We have just groups of people trying to do the same thing in different ways. So don't get bogged down with the different ways. Okay, those are all created by human beings that are no better, smarter, or, you know, more capable as witches than you. You could create your own witchcraft tradition tomorrow, and it would be just as viable as any one that came from the ancient Egyptian mystery schools. These are all just different ways to get to a higher goal. Focus on what the higher goal is for you, and then whatever one of those paths works the best to get there, then, you know, have at it. Oh, cool. Yes, absolutely. I totally agree. So Mm -hmm. speaking of sort of practices of witchcraft are, if somebody's new to witchcraft and they're not really sure where to start, I think one thing to sort of focus on that's good is like closed versus open practices. Is that something that you would be able to talk about a little bit and how can somebody new to witchcraft understand what might be a closed practice and what is sort of open practice for everyone? Mm, Yeah, definitely. Um, I do think that's a good place to start. 
Um, it'll save you maybe some time <laughs> in the long run. No need to go down a path that ultimately is not for you or is closed to you for some, for some reason. Um, <clears throat> I think what I would say most importantly about that when it comes to closed practices is uh, try to let go of your pain or frustration that somebody is telling you that you are not allowed in the club. <laughs> okay. Yep. And the reason for that is this closed practices are closed, not because they are trying to exclude you, but because they are trying to protect those that are inside. Okay. Keeping the club limited is not about saying that you are not good enough, you are not qualified, you don't have the right ancestry, you don't have the right skin color, you don't speak the right language. It is not about that, though it may play out that way. It's not about that. It's about protecting those who are on the inside. And those who are on the inside most often are members of communities that are in grave danger of having their cultures, their practices, their languages, their gods, their beliefs completely decimated. We live in a world that we younger folks probably find to be a bit friendlier, but we need to remember that these practices don't come from the 2022 world of everybody's included. They come from a world where people were being murdered, hung on trees and burned on stakes for their practices and beliefs. So those practices are closed to prevent that. And we cannot be so naive as to think that just because we live in a Facebook world that somehow people will not be hung from trees or burned on stakes for their practices. It is still happening every day. Even in countries like America, we have people talking about burning books about witchcraft and imprisoning people who practice it. So we are not in the clear here. Um, so try not to be so offended. It's not about you. It's about protecting people who don't have other protections and their spiritual practices are all that they have. And for that to be lost for many would mean the end of entire groups of people. Okay, so keep that in mind. That is why those practices are closed. And so if you are interested in a practice that you know to be a closed practice or that some folks say is a closed practice, then the question you need to ask for yourself is, how can I protect the people in this practice? What does my presence or my interaction with this practice do to help them, to protect them, to serve them, to make sure that this practice lasts another 100, another 500, another 1,000 years? And I don't think we ask that enough. I think new practitioners ask themselves, what can I learn from this practice? What power can I obtain by being initiated into this or to that? And that's the wrong thing to be asking yourself. Because if you're asking yourself that, you are precisely the type of danger that closed practices are closed to prevent. Absolutely. Right? The Absolutely. question is, how is my presence as a this practitioner, as a such and such priest, as a dedicant of this, going to further the protection and the longevity and the health and happiness of this practice, this uh, group of people, or this, um, you know, uh, ritual, whatever it is. Um, start there. Um, and if the truth of the matter is you realize that you 
are not going to really be a benefit by being there, then get some books, watch some videos, educate yourself as much as possible and respectfully accept that that group has decided that for their own safety, it is best that perhaps you not participate. And that's a mutual decision. If you do this right and you ask the right questions, you will not want to be a part of any practice that does not want you a part of it. And you'll absolutely understand why they don't want you there and be really happy that you realize that you too don't want to be there. Such a great um, explanation. Right. And if you go through that, then some of you who are listening right now are going to be drawn directly to a closed practice because you are going to realize that there is so much that you can do by existing in that practice for that practice. But for many of us, that won't be the case. And there are lots of practices that are open that we can explore. And like I said, closed practices doesn't mean that you can't learn. Um, it doesn't mean that you can't research. And inevitably when you learn things, they're going to have an impact on your practice because the tagline of my podcast, Better Witch, is when we know better, we witch better. So it would be totally irrational to think that if you read 10 books on voodoo, that you're not going to take something from that and have it inform your practice and make your practice better in some way. But are we initiating ourselves as voodoo priestesses or insisting that we be allowed into a voodoo house? Perhaps not. Great explanation. So much goodness in there that I hope every listener really, really hears. Thank you for sharing that. So how have your family, you spoke a little bit about your mother at the beginning of the episode, but how have your other family and friends received your witchcraft work? Mm, my friends love it. I think, <laughs> uh, you know, they, they are, uh, they've always been really supportive. I'm one of those people who's, whose friends are her family. Uh, I'm, I'm adopted. Um, and I think that gives me kind of a different look on family. Um, I don't necessarily assume that just because someone is like related to me by the proper like family channels that they are family. So my friends really are my family members at this point in my life. They understand me on a level that a lot of my family members don't. Um, and they're very embracing of my practices, even though they don't necessarily line up with their own. And that's also probably generationally as well. You know, all my friends are in their 30s. So they grew up in religious households as well. And we've all kind of like seen the, the not so great side of that. And while they still carry those values and would still probably, you know, bury their parents in a church and get married in a church and do all of those things, they um, are not necessarily as like devout as, you know, their parents or their grandparents. And so they're a lot more open uh, to different practices. So my friends really love it. I'm actually posting a video today on my YouTube, uh, one of my witching in the city videos, because one of my friends was like, I'm going to a haunted hotel with my friends and we're going to do a Ouija board. Um, and I'm a little scared. What should I do? And I was like, I got you. Let me go get you some things and I will walk you through it. It's going to yes, be fine. You're going to have a blast, but also let's just, let's just make sure. So, yeah. <laughs> so I, you know, grabbed her a bunch of things and made a little video about like what, what I think you might want to do for yourself if you're trying spirit communication for the first time. So my friends are really supportive. Uh, my extended family, um, it, it's one of those things where I, I don't necessarily run around making a big deal about like, ah, 
I'm a witch. It's very obvious. Um, I think uh, in the way that I behave, the things that I say, the things that I do. So I get a lot of like raised eyebrows. Um, and I get a lot of like when I'm with my extended family, you know, for like Christmas gatherings or things like that. I get a lot of raised eyebrows when I say things like, I don't celebrate Thanksgiving or Christmas. What? You know? Um, or I have various tattoos that are spiritual or religious. And I have a pentagram right on my hand. And, um, I, you know, I had an aunt once that was like, what is that on your hand? And the way she said it, like she's a, she's a reverend, I think, or, you know, she's, she's somebody up in the church or whatever. And um, the way she said it, I knew that it was not a genuine, just curious question about my tattoos, right? Yeah. So she's, what is that? So I looked her dead in the eyes and I said, it's a star. Have you ever seen one? <laughs> I love that so much. And then she was just like, oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah, it is a star. Yep. Right. And then that was the end of the conversation um, because people will try to bait you into debates over your beliefs and not over here, honey. Mine are firmly established and I'm genuinely not interested in what's going on in your area of the globe. Um, God bless you that you're so interested in mine, though. That must be I, I must be fascinating. But so, yeah, so I, um, I just kind of <laughs> take that attitude of like, oh, wow, you're so interested in me and move on. Um, but the truth of the matter is that they would be very unsupportive and they would have lots of issues with it. And um, there are some exceptions to that. Um, I have an aunt that's traveled to Africa and extensive, done a lot of reading up on her own on African spirituality. And so even though she's a devout Christian and she's in church every Sunday and all of that stuff, when I start to talk to her about African spirituality and the ways in which Christianity was forced on the Africans that were brought here as slaves, she gets it. You know, if I talk to certain family members and I'm like, you know, Christianity was forced on me as a slave. It's like, ah! dare you do you yeah. not believe that? but for her she's like uh oh, yes I know I'm aware I still choose this path I you know but you know so there are some family members that I can have conversations with some younger cousins that like to hit me up for crystal advice and things like that um my mother has done a 180 which has been really interesting uh, my mother and I at one point as teenagers were rolling on the floor in, in a physical altercation over candles that I had in my room which did, didn't happen a lot. Don't worry, guys. I wasn't like abused <laughs> as a kid. Um, but but this was, you know, I was like a teenager at this point. So this this was a lot more heated of a argument than, you know, with a little kid. This was me trying to assert myself like as an adult. And I was like, I paid for these candles. I don't care what you think of them. I am going to burn them in this house. And my mother was like, no, you are not. And, and, and it got really intense. But fast forward from that to now, uh, I go down to visit her. And the first thing she asked me for is one of my herbal remedies because she's got this going on or that going on. And uh, she has always worked with the earth. I come from farming people. Um, and I was blown away one day when I told her to talk to her plants and she was confused. I was like, you don't talk to your plants. You're, you're, you're a farmer. You're a farmer's daughter. Like, what? But I told her to talk to her plants because she was having a hard time figuring out what was wrong with them. And she was like, mind blown when she started doing this she was like I've been talking to the plants and it's great I finally figured out what was wrong with that one that wouldn't grow you know and um 
So I've tried to explain to her, like, you know, mommy, I'm a witch and a tarot reader and like people pay me to do that. And <laughs> that's my job now. And, you know, I own a shop and other witches are my friends. And I don't know that I'll ever get to the point where she uses that word and is like, ah, yes, meet my daughter, the witch. But she has very much grown a better understanding that what I do, even if she doesn't get it fully, is coming from a place that is in alignment with God, not in opposition. And that's really all she ever cared about, I think. And through my own actions, through the growth that I've had in my life, through the ways I'm able to help her or help other people, um, I think she's been able to see that, you know what, I may not be able to like describe what the hell my daughter does, but it's good. It helps people and it's good and I'm proud of her. And so she's, she's there and that's really all I could ask for. That's awesome. I love to hear that. So you, this is a great segue to my next question, which is you've been on your magical journey for a while now. So what inspired you to open up a business based on your practices? It was kind of accidental in a lot of ways. Um, I never set out to be like, I'm going to be a spiritual business owner or have a witchy business. Um, It's one of those full circle things. Some of my earliest memories of being like a a young adult or preteen, I guess you were 12, you're like a preteen, 11, 12. So my earliest memories of being like a preteen, I don't remember much of like childhood, childhood. I don't know if other people are like that, but like the really young years, um, they were all kind of the same, you know, as you're a kid, you just like go to school and like clean your room. Like um, when I started to be like a person or I was like 12 years old and like, I'm, you know, taking the train to school, I'm navigating around New York city. I'm starting to like hang out with friends after school and go to birthday parties and stuff and like have my own personality. I fell in love with the witchy shops. I could, I spent hours upon hours either in the witchy shops or because you couldn't really just stay in them without buying stuff. I would go to the witchy shops, spend as much time in there as possible, buy as little as possible because I was a broke child, um, but just get as much as I could. And then I would go to a Barnes and Noble and I would sit in the new age section and Barnes and Noble was great. Shout out to them. I'll always be so grateful to them because they let you read books in the aisles. I don't know if that's a thing still, but back in the day you could do that. And the Barnes and Nobles in New York were so huge that no one bothered you. So you could find a dark little corner in the new age section, which was typically empty. And you would just, I could just sit there for hours on end and read every witchy book and all the things. And that's what I did. And now I'm like building those spaces. So it's very full circle. So somewhere around 2019 in the fall, I went to an event called Witches and Wine. Shout out to Grecia Ordonez. She's known online as Madre Agua. And she uh, has these Witches and Wine events that she has been throwing in different cities um, around the country. COVID kind of slowed things down, but she's back at it. And um, she did one here in New York. And I was so excited. I was like, oh my God, yes, Witches and Wine, okay. Two of my favorite things. And um, uh, and I would love to meet more people like me. I go to this event. It's a weird spiritual event. Like it's it's great, but it's weird because I went there at, in, intending to party. And I ended up on the floor with my cards around me, my candles lit doing readings for people. I look up, it's 11 o'clock at night. The party's over, everyone's gone. I'm still sitting on the floor and there's a line of seven people five or seven women waiting for me to read for them. 
And I was like, wait, I don't, and I had never done tarot readings for strangers before that day in my life. I'd only read for a couple of my friends and their friends, like late night after the bar, like, yeah, my card's with me, you know, nothing serious. And uh, Grecia, the, the host of the party, she really kind of breathed life into me. And she was like, go read, go do it. And I started and that, that started Bronx Witch. I left that event and declared to the skies that I am a tarot reader. And once I said that to the universe, they were like, okay, bet, <laughs> let's do this. Yes. Bronx Witch, the channel, Bronx Witch, the Instagram page was created within a week of that. And, and now two, three years later, um, we have a shop that just celebrated its one year anniversary of being open. So yeah, I'm kind of just going along for the ride. That's how it happened. So awesome. So cool. I love when the universe doesn't wait for you anymore to be called to it and it just gives it all to you. So that is awesome. So, so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. We'll have one last question here, usually for my, you know, more psychic mediumship guests, I'll ask what's something that people can do to sort of open the doors to their psychic abilities. But what I'll Mm. ask you is what is something that listeners can do to open themselves up to the magic of witchcraft? Well, I would say, first of all, spend more time in nature. Because when you do that, you will realize that witchcraft is not this hard, complicated thing that you need extensive study or lots of materials or things to do. Um, When you are sitting quietly in nature, but on the ground, feeling that really deep hum of the earth, listening to the birds, feeling the sun on your skin, you start to realize that you could literally melt into that place. And that melting feeling can only be because you are made up of the exact same energy that everything around you is. That's big. It seems so like silly and like foofy, I'm gonna sit under this tree, but if you haven't got it, you're not sitting long enough. So sit longer and wait for that melting moment. When you really feel in your soul that you are not actually separated from the bug or the bee or the tree that is next to you, you have this aha moment of, oh shit, I can do anything. I can take my consciousness and be in that bird and travel with that bird to the next state. I can be in the consciousness of this tree and be just as strong and firm in the face of adversity, blowing winds or storms as this tree is. I can be just as small and invisible as this bug in case I maybe need to do something on some low key shit, right? I could be like a that you don't even know is there. So when you feel that feeling of interconnectedness with all things, witchcraft becomes this thing that is no longer a mystery and is very obvious. And then from there, everything is a lot easier. What great advice. So beautiful. Mm -hmm. Well, Allie, thank you so much for being here today and running through all the questions and teaching us all about the basics of witchcraft. Absolutely. It was a pleasure to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you want more from Opening the Door Podcast, don't forget to subscribe. Follow us on Instagram at Opening the Door Podcast. And remember, don't be afraid to open your door.